Thanks so much for listening to the podcast this week. My name is John and I am one of the pastors at Reality Church. The teaching this week is the second in our Rule of Life series where we're learning about how to put habits and practices and disciplines into our lives that help us to abide with Jesus and to love one another and to become more like him. If you have any questions or you want more information about it, I encourage you to listen to last week's introductory sermon. And then you can also go to our website, realityvancouver.com slash rule of life, where we have a lot more resources and recommendations on how to create a rule of life. Secondly, the teacher this week is my friend Andrea Tischer. Andrea is a friend of mine that I met through an organization called Jesus Collective, where we're both partners. And she's also the pastor at Southwest Community Church in Kamloops and has also pastored in Vancouver at First Baptist. Um, Finally, unfortunately, part of her sermon was cut off as we're still working out the AV kinks being back in our building. So I wanted to just give you a quick snippet of what she had been talking about as we uh, in the section that we missed taping. So she was introducing us to four postures for spiritual disciplines. The first is that we have our hands up, which is it represents the longing to connect with the divine. And we discover that God is always reaching back towards us coming down, which is seen most clearly in Jesus. The second posture she talks about and will explore is our hands, is represented by having our hands on our chest, which is a longing for integration within ourselves, that God wants to be involved with, uh, knit us together and be involved in our whole lives, our inner selves. The third movement is with that our hands are open, our elbows are in, and this represents a connection, a need for connection with other people, and that God meets us in one another. And then finally, our the final posture is our arms out. Uh, the arms are open in a cruciform in a desire to be part of something bigger and to join God in mission. So we'll pick up her teaching as she talks about the first movement, this desire to grow upward, and a quote by Ken Shigematsu. It is okay to complain to God. In fact, sometimes I think if we're going to tell the truth, we have to complain to God. Even to scream and shake your fist like Job. God can handle our emotional honesty. But if the only way we communicate with God is by complaining, cursing, or whining, we will feel alienated from God. Conversely, when we take time to thank God and to affirm his goodness, we will draw closer to him. And as we draw closer to God, enjoying his presence and the gift of his friendship, we will be transformed. So gratitude is this posture and practice of noticing what's in our hands. And like anything, if we begin to notice, you notice more, right? If someone in your life suddenly becomes a watercolor artist you suddenly notice watercolor everywhere you go you're like oh look at that watercolor oh i never really realized how you could do this with those i'm not a visual artist so i can't do those things with watercolor but when someone in my life is interested in something i suddenly notice it everywhere if i start to pay attention to the gifts that are in my hands I will notice the gifts more quickly. I will notice what's going on and the things that I can be grateful for. Gratitude then is really rooted in paying attention to your own life. The second invitation upward is Sabbath, 
which you already at least talk about practicing. But let's be honest, it's hard to do Sabbath in the modern world, right? Disconnecting, shutting it down. I don't know if you know about the Enneagram, but I'm an Enneagram 3, which means I don't do not doing stuff. I always have a checklist in my head. I live with a constant desire to accomplish something. Even taking a nap, I want it on my list so that I can check it off. Does that make sense? Like, it's sort of a pathological issue. And so Sabbath is hard. It's, but it's never been more relevant because what do we need more than to pause and to stop? To take one day in seven at least to be a creature in the world that we didn't create and cannot sustain and to just live in the wonder that that is. Now, we're always that creature. We are always living in a world we didn't create and cannot sustain. But to take a whole day to remember and to live in the freedom of that will change the other six days. So you know, probably as well as I do, that Sabbath comes from not John's rule of life teaching. (laughs) Sabbath comes from Genesis 2, right? So or in in their origin story in in Genesis. God creates, God works, and then God rests. When we rest, we are imaging God. When God gives the law to his people and Sabbath is named there, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy, that's not where it begins. Sabbath came before the law. Rest precedes law. God rested and people are invited to rest. We're invited to take a break from running the world, to wake up at least once per week in a posture of rest rather than running things, rather than functioning like mini deities, back to being creatures. In her brilliant book, Unfettered, Pastor Mandy Smith writes this, the more we practice Sabbath, the more rest stays with us even when we're productive. We begin to do our work with an awareness that we're not making this world, but joining God in the work of remaking it. Rest, creatureliness, in a world that is fixated on work and productivity, mastery and control. So I don't know what this would look like for you. For me, it means taking Friday as my day off. Now, I don't know what you think of what pastors do or how much you understand (laughs) what pastors do, but most people are like, oh, Monday is a pastor's day off, the day after Sunday, because that's like the day you actually work. (laughs) We've never heard that, right, John? (laughs) You're free the rest of the week, right? You're totally flexible. I don't take Mondays. I take Fridays, because for me, Friday is the day that I didn't finish everything on my to-do list by the end of Thursday, and I stop anyway. How much of the sermon got written? However much got written. How much of those phone calls got made? How many visits got made? Who's in hospital? Who's in crisis? I did what I could do, and now I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop anyway. Instead of, I'm going to run towards that finish line of Sunday, and then I'll collapse into Monday, and I'll take a break because I can't function, right? 
it's different. So I would say I've lived and I've experienced what happens when I rest on Friday. I can work Monday. I have energy for Monday, but I don't have that sense of I'm in charge. I'm mastering all of this. No, most of the time. <laughs> I have to fight that still. So as we seek to grow upward, we're invited to these practices like gratitude, like Sabbath, where we discover in them that God is already moving towards us, meeting us. As we seek to grow inward, hands on chest, there you go, inward, thank you, we explore our longing for integration within ourselves. Has anyone ever felt the disintegration in your own soul? You don't have to put your hand up because you do. I know you do, right? What you think, what you feel, what you experience, they don't always integrate, right? How you want your life to be versus how it actually is. But as we look for that integration, we discover that God is moving and meeting us even there, even in those dark, shadowy places, that God is delighting and working for our transformation, for our integration. So this integration where all the parts of ourselves relate as was intended, it's not about self-actualization or finding yourself or even becoming the most authentic version of yourself. Those are all like maybe little tiny pieces of it, but those aren't the point. The point is that discovering the truth of ourselves in all of our beauty and dignity and in all of the struggle and brokenness, until we accept who that really is, we can't really grow. Or we can only grow so much. Alistair Stern writes in his chapter about this, Christian self-acceptance embraces the whole picture of who we are. We can do this, we can accept the whole picture of who we are because God doesn't shrink back from our failures and mistakes, our sins and transgressions. He always moves towards us, even the darkest parts of us, with love. When it comes to growth in this inward direction, we take our cue from God. If God can move towards me in love, in compassion, can I relate to myself that way too? If we're to make any progress toward the goal of integration or to become the most authentic versions of ourselves, well, I think we have to start from that posture. No one has hated themselves into authenticity. It just, that's not how it works. No one has disciplined themselves into integration. Acknowledging, or sorry, acceptance comes first. Acknowledging and allowing ourselves to see who we really are. And then love draws us in, invites growth, shines light into dark corners and shadow selves. But transformation isn't the first step. Love is self-acceptance because of moving towards ourselves the way we see God move towards us. That is what leads us in that growth. Two invitations then. First about stewardship and then secondly about guidance. 
Stewardship, you think, well, if you walked in the back door, you have this great little box there, the stewardship box. And that's awesome because, of course, stewardship has to do with our finances and what we have to give. But stewardship is more than just our finances. It's about how we relate to and handle everything that has been entrusted to us. So, yes, financial resources is included, but so is time, relationships, work, skills, talents. Key to the practice of stewardship is the posture that takes in relation, sorry, key to the practice of stewardship is the posture that it takes in relation to all that has been entrusted to us. If everything is actually God's and it has simply been given to us or we've been given access to it, we've been invited to steward it, then these people you live with your family, they're God's first. They belong to God first. You do not own them. And actually, in our culture and in the church, maybe most of all, we've done this weird thing with family where, like, my family comes first and we're everything and everything, and this is my, I mean, I don't know what it's like for men, but for women, my children are my everything. Friends, that's not a good idea. Like, it's a really bad idea. Because you all have parents. Have you not disappointed them? I mean, sorry, most of you have never disappointed your parents. I, 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 it was just me. I mean, my mom thinks I'm awesome. <laughs> but if she lives for me, that's not a gift to me. Don't do that to your kids. Don't live for your kids. Don't make them the center of your universe, right? They are God's first. Your husband, your wife, or the husband or wife you wish you had, they're not the center of your world. They are God's first, and you've been given the gift of this relationship with them. Same thing with your parents. Maybe your parents are really important to you. That's beautiful. And as a parent, I hope my kids always think I'm important. But I don't want them to fall apart when I die. Right? Therefore, I need them to not make me the center of their world. Or they're living in fear of when their world falls apart. I'm a gift to them if they will receive it. They are a gift to me if I will receive them. But this stewardship, my house is God's, well, and the banks. But my, right, you can see where I'm going. Your condo, your apartment, your little tiny patch of grass, or your gigantic backyard. Can I just, just put a plug in here? We moved to Kamloops from Richmond, BC. We lived in a townhouse, and then we moved to the interior three years ago. And the weirdest thing is that we have a yard and we have to mow it. Nobody told us about that part. There's like work that's involved, but it is still weird for me to go out and there's all of this. I mean, I could have you in my backyard because I don't live in Vancouver. <laughs> it's very strange, there's these things. But again, my house is not mine. So how do I use it? How do I live there in such a way that I'm the steward of it? When I, when I take care of something that belongs to someone else, we take their wishes into consideration, right? I'm staying at Richard and Maureen's Gareth's parents this week, and I will put coasters on the table because that's what will make Maureen relax. 
And it's a silly thing, but at the same time, if I care about living and being somewhere else, I take care of it the way. Friends, your body doesn't even belong to you first. My body belongs to God first. And now I steward that body in ways that make God happy. Right? And that has to do with both taking care of the body, but also accepting the body I was given. So self-hatred of your body. That's not like, God's like, wait, but I made that. That's mine. I made it, and I said it was good. And what are you doing listening to a culture that tells you it's not okay? Right? All of these things. Stewardship is everything. And of course, our money then is transformed as well because it's God's first. The second way that we grow inward is guidance. And I really like that this practice fits into this inward thing because guess what? You can't guide yourself. There's no Google Maps for inward growth. You can't just listen to the disembodied voice. You actually need other people to grow in this way. Oh, shoot. Now, you can't blame it on other people. Oh, nobody guided me. (laughs) That's not an option. But guidance, this inward practice, requires other people. So just guidance requires another person in order for us to receive the gift of what someone else can see. And we've all received this in some way or, or other, where somebody just makes a little comment about something they notice and it unlocks something for you, right? You're like, oh, I'd never looked at my own life that way, or I'd never looked at this situation that way. For many people, myself included, guidance often comes in the form of my spiritual director. And if you aren't familiar with spiritual direction, for me, the most helpful thing is that within the Protestant tradition and within my own way of doing things, there's such a focus on learning and getting more knowledge. I'm so convinced that I'm always one book away from understanding everything, right? Or at least more. And spiritual direction for me stops that fire hose spray of things to know and allows me to slow down and to attend to things that get overlooked. So it isn't only in spiritual direction that I experience this, but that's been a huge piece of this for me. It also means asking for people's guidance. It it is not usually received when somebody thinks they should tell you what to do. So if someone comes to you with guidance for you, Well, you can listen, but take it with a grain of salt. It's when you seek out people in your life that you think, I really like the way I see them living this out. I want to know what they think. And you go to them and you say, will you tell me what you think? And sometimes we even ask someone who we're terrified we won't like their answer. In fact, that might be when guidance works the best. So, upward inward and then as we seek to grow withward we we have to connect with that longing to be with other people and i know that some of you are like you know what i loved the pandemic because i didn't have to be with other people unless i wanted to be right and i'm not an introvert 
But I also loved all the things I didn't have to do during the pandemic, and some of them I don't necessarily want to start, restart. But we cannot be followers of Jesus by ourselves. There is a withward component of growing as a disciple of Jesus. There is a one-anothering, right? Love one another, spur one another on to good deeds, accept one another, belong to one another, sharpen one another. If you just read through the New Testament looking for all the one-anothers, you'll have lots of ideas of things that you need one another for. And so these withward rhythms are the best of times and the worst of times. Let's just name it. Experiences of community done well will often end up being highlights of our Christian experience, but let's also name this. We will remember them free of all of the less than great parts. So we will remember them with a nostalgia, right? We will remember camp, where my son is at Anvil Island this week. We will remember camp without remembering that we got sick when we got home and had to sleep for two weeks, right? It'll just be, it was amazing. We will remember in the same way our bad experiences in community, they will sometimes do lasting damage to our souls and to our willingness to try it again, and understandably so. But growing upward to God and inward to self will always also require growing withward in community. When you meet Jesus, you also are introduced to his friends. He does it every time. I've yet to see somebody meet Jesus and grow in Jesus without eventually becoming part of something bigger than just themselves. So I'm sorry to tell you, but I can because I'm the guest and I'm leaving and then you can be mad at me from a distance. There is no such thing as a Lone Ranger Jesus follower. It's just not an option. So the, the withward invitations are to, to spiritual gifts and to the table. Now, spiritual gifts, I think, is a beautiful image where we get the you-ness of you, your unique abilities, your combinations of those abilities with your personality and your life experience, but also then these gifts that God gives for the sake of his body. So here's the deal. Your spiritual gifts aren't for you. They're not yours. Oh, we're there again. We're back to stewardship. They're not yours. They belong to God. They've been given to you for the sake of one another. The list of gifts is an ever-shifting one depending on which texts of the New Testament you focus on, but they're there and you each have at least one of them. But they're not for you, they're for the common good of the community. When you don't learn how to use your gift, we collectively suffer. You are needed. The body can't function the way it ought to And yes, the Spirit is animating that gift in you, but that doesn't mean you don't have to learn how to use it. It won't just magically work. You have the gift of teaching? Well, then you better learn some things to teach because we don't want to hear you teach nothing, right? You have the gift of faith? Well, it's not to be exercised in having faith about only your own life. So it's for your body that you belong to, or the gift of mercy, or the gift of helps. All of these are exercised in that one another kind of space. 
it requires others. The second invitation is to the table. And I noticed that you also have David Fitch on your reading list. And in his little book, Seven Practices for the Church on Mission, which I think is just his redacted version of faithful witness or faithful discipleship, he talks about three kinds of table experiences. So the first one we will experience in just a few minutes as we gather around the Lord's table together. The second one is the one you have in your house where you eat things on a daily basis, right? That household table where we gather as Christians, but also in ways that we're able to invite others in. And I love how part of your rule of life together is to make sure that you're eating with others at least some of the time. But the third table experience is when we show up not as the host, but as a guest. In all three table experiences, the people of God are being shaped to be present, sorry, to be God's presence in Christ around the table. But that third kind of table is the one that I think is the least familiar to most of us. The tables that you get invited to and where you're not meant to show up as host, but where you are a guest. And again, paying attention to how God is moving in the places where we're not in charge. For me, in my little community in Kamloops, this is exactly where we are living, on multiple fronts, but especially when it comes to the Indigenous people in Kamloops. We had done a little bit of learning in uh, the spring of last year, right before the announcement of the 215. And that, like, you can't, if you don't know Kamloops, you can't go anywhere in Kamloops without driving past the residential school. Like, it's right there on the highway. It's prominent. Moving there from here, where Indigenous communities are kind of tucked in and either driven through without even realizing it or just kind of avoided, I thought, oh, Kamloops, they all have been talking about this for ages because it's right there in front of everyone. Well, it turned out they hadn't because that's not how we work always, right? We sometimes don't want to have the conversations that we need to have. But when that 215 announcement came, there was this thing of what do we do? And as a good set of Christians, we're like, well, we could open up our church so people could, and it's like, oh, that's not probably helpful. Okay, you know, and, and you're, you're kind of doing, going through your list of ways you could open your space or your table. And a, a wise friend who does a lot of work with Indigenous communities called me and said, what would you do if somebody experienced a tragedy? And I said, well, we'd show up with food. And she said, exactly. And so I called my little church, and you have to understand, we're, we're small, we're little, and I said, can I take muffins? Will you send us muffins? And the next morning, I got there, and there's a table in the little narthex of our church, and there's like six dozen muffins there, and I thought, great. And I had told them I was leaving about 11 o'clock to go over to the, the reserve and by the time I left, I had 24 dozen muffins. And at this point, if you can just imagine, I don't know where I'm going. I just know people have been going there. They've kind of opened the doors to anyone who wants to come to pay their respects. But I don't know the rules, the protocols. I don't know whether, you know, it's sort of like if I showed up at your house after you experienced something hard with 16 lasagnas. Like there's a point at which my gift is no longer a gift, right? 
So I'm thinking, 24 dozen muffins, what have I done? And my board chair and I piled them all into our car and we drove onto the reserve and we did not know where we were going. But we knew that we had been sort of invited. <laughs> but now we were invited without the rules. And also, let's be fair, I'm used to being in charge of the gatherings I attend, right? I'm going to set up the mic. I'm going to decide when the doors are open. I'm going to decide how many chairs to put out. And suddenly, I'm going to someone else's table. And yeah, I'm bringing something, but really, it's just a token. So we drove onto the reserve, and we ended up behind a pickup truck with about 28 cases of water in the back. And I thought, well, I think we're going wherever he's going. Let's just follow him. So we followed him, and sure enough, we got to this sort of uh, like a community center kind of little town, like a little community hall kind of space. It's called Moccasin Square Gardens, <laughs> which I love. Anyway, <laughs> but we got there, and sure enough, somebody yelled from inside, and people came, and we started to bring the water and the muffins in. And I discovered that people had been coming all day long. There were tables and tables of what do you need? And then there were kids running outside to make sure that the elders sitting in the shade, but also near the sacred fire, which is part of how they mourn a death, that they had something to drink and something to eat. And we were just kind of swept in. And at some point, somebody handed us food and we said, oh, no, no, you don't need to feed us. And here's what happens when you show up at a table where you're the guest and not the host. They said, no, 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 you have to eat this. And we said, okay. And they said, this is, Moccasin Square Gardens is about 100 meters away from the Kamloops Indian Residential School. And she says, they didn't feed them in there, so we will feast. And we will feast and we will eat and we will feed everyone who comes to us. And we're like, okay, I will eat, right? <laughs> this will be the most special piece of food that I've eaten in a really long time. And all of a sudden, showing up as the guest and not as the host. And I do really wonder where that happens in your world and potentially where it happens that you're not even aware. It's not like you're like, oh, ding, 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 here's my, I'm being invited. It's just, it's that idea, it's the neighbor that says, do you want to come over for a drink? And you're like, oh, well, I'm, or, right? It's, it's those places that we don't necessarily see right away, but where we end up meeting the God who is always meeting us in the other. And then finally, as we seek to grow outward, we join in on the mission of God, and we discover love on the move. The invitations of the outward movement are hospitality and generous service. Now, hospitality might make you think about hostessing and Pinterest-perfect magazine-ready show homes and dining tables that are fancy and houses spotless and gourmet meals that are effortlessly prepared. But when we shrink away then and say, oh, hospitality, that's for someone else, that's because we're not thinking about hospitality the right way. So hospitality is really just there's always room for more because God always makes room for me. So this is where it is somebody sleeping on your couch for a couple days because you love them and of course you'll make space for them, right? This is 
Of course we can pull another chair up to this table. Of course we can add what we need. Of course we can have ASL interpretation. Because why wouldn't we want people to be able to be part of the community? Does it require something of you? Of course it does. But that's okay, right? So by this definition, we can be hospitable in any location, at home, at work, at school, in a park, on Zoom. We learned how to be hospitable over the phone, right? In fact, we discovered that sometimes Zoom actually works really well. I, my little community is mostly over 50, and quite a few of them over 65, and they've discovered that in a place where the snow falls for a bunch of the winter, Zoom is much preferable to driving in the dark and snowy roads. And they can always add one more, right? Of course there's room for you. Join in. It's what we do when we realize that God is always making room for us. We then make room for others. The last invitation then is to generous service which is meeting the needs of others, all kinds of needs, which mimics how Jesus demonstrated love on the move in emptying himself in generosity. So we see needs and we move towards them because this is what we see God do. Now, this doesn't mean that you can meet every need you encounter. That's not practical or realistic. But it does mean that we know that sometimes when we see a need, We've been shown the need so that we can do something about it. It's not always the time to say, I can't do it right now. We can seek to always respond to the needs of people around us with grace and with empathy, but we also have opportunity to sometimes go beyond being gracious and empathetic and actually meet the needs we encounter. So this can happen within your church community, right? But it can also happen within the wider community of Vancouver or the neighborhoods in which you live. And of course, the needs of a city might be overwhelming. Uh, having moved from Vancouver to Kamloops, they panic about the littlest things to do with, and we've got a growing homeless population, so there are some things that they need to panic about and we need to work on stuff, but sometimes I sort of think, oh, you guys, you have no idea. <laughs> um, but at the same time, how do we posture ourselves to be generous with whatever the needs are that we're encountering? The goal of the outward movement is to join God in mission, to discover in Christ that God is hospitable, to discover in Christ that God self-empties in generous service, to discover that God moves towards God's creation in love, and so God's people move toward one another and the rest of creation in love as well. So as you seek, last time, to grow upward, may you discover God already reaching down to you. As you seek to grow inward, May you discover the God who is already at work knitting you together and integrating all the parts of you. As you seek to grow withward, may you encounter God in others and in your relationships. And then as you seek to grow outward, may you join in the God who is love on the move. This is the best thing you can do for God 
to embrace what it is that God does for you. Let's pray. God, I thank you for each one of these people, and I thank you for the way that you are already at work in their lives and in their life together as a community here at Reality. I thank you that when we reach for you, you are already reaching for us. That when we name and experience those difficult and broken places, that you are already moving towards them with love, and so we can move towards ourselves in the same way. I thank you that you meet us in other people, both Christians, but also people in the world who you are also at work in and who are you are drawing into everything that you are doing in making all things new. And then we pray that you would make each of us and this community as a collective part of what you are doing in being love on the move, that they would see you at work and join in in all the ways that you are remaking the world you love. Pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.